Hello, listeners. You are joining us for episode six of Gotta Jabrew, the podcast where we talk about our love for fish and beer. I am the Lizza. And I am the kid himself. You guys can come with us. We're gonna kind of take you to another place and tell you a little story. Okay, uh, this story takes place. I'm just doing this because I haven't had such a, a great, attentive, quiet audience in such a long time, years. So I want to tell you guys this story here. Okay, what we were just singing about there in that last song here is this thing where the guy is skating out in the middle of the ice and he's sort of attached to his mirror image on the ice and he starts to have a a battle with his mirror image and his mirror image reaches up and is trying to drag him down into the ice and right now we're kind of sunk down into the ice below the ice and down in this ice here we're going to kind of travel down into a different land now if you come with me please kind of picture off in the distance here a green field stretching off in the distance and the forest rising up over that way and a mountain coming up out of the forest and this is a place called Game Hinge. Now, <laughs> All right. <laughs> this episode is a very special episode because we are going on a journey to Game Hinge. Yes. I'm excited. Can't wait. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, is it really trite to describe what Game Hinge is? I think it's, you know, it's an important point to mention, I would say. Um, right. Well, let's say, let's do it this way. I like I like that we kind of keep the same approach, uh, especially that we're both in very different stages of uh, getting into fish. Um, how did you come in to Gamehenge? How did you figure out what it was? Oh, I my uh, my Sherpa <laughs> J three PO explained to me what that was, and that's really funny. You asked me that question because uh, I don't. When I think of Game Henge and I think of the narration, I think of JP's voice in my head explaining to me what this is about. Interesting. And not Trey's narration. Huh. So you were you were told about this way. Obviously, this is like way into you seeing fish. This is no. This way... was a uh, this was like four shows into me seeing fish. Oh, okay. And uh, I just fell into a crew of people who liked to listen to fish as much as I did at the time, which was <laughs> all the time. Nice. Um, yeah, and it was explained to me. That when Trey was going to school, when he was going to college at Goddard, um, he was studying composition, right? He was like studying all these composers and he wrote music that was very um, just choreographed and uh, liked to tell a story. So uh, early on, uh, he came up with this thesis and it was called The Man That's, Who Stepped Into Yesterday? Correct. Right. And it was about... Uh, this land of Gamehenge, and there were all these accompanying songs. Right. So that's what I was told about it. Awesome. So for for my experience, I was noticing a pattern in some of the songs that I was getting. Um, again, my rule was always that I couldn't listen to something that I hadn't listened to before. And I obviously got certain songs like Possum, which is like one of Fish's uh, most commonly played songs. Um, I started realizing that there were references and metaphors and they were kind of similar. So mine came out of curiosity and uh, approaching our Sherpa J3PO and saying, hey, I've like noticed some of these songs are kind of 
floating somewhere around the same place. Like, what's this about? And he obviously also tells me about uh, uh, Trey's senior thesis. He was a uh, he was also an English major. I, I'm a, I believe that, and I'm sure someone in the world will correct me if I'm wrong. That like he was morphing two things together, both his creative music writing and his and his actual creative writing. Sure. And um, I mean, I don't know. It's not, not an official me. album if you talk to fish heads because if you get a copy of it, and it's hard to find now on the internet, it's very well combed through. So you either have had it for a long time or, um, you know, someone's given it to you. I was given The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday by J3PO. Um, I was had, He had to give me a thumb drive with the MP3s on it. And oh. it, what's really funny and interesting is that it, the original was on a tape cassette. So right. when you listen to it, it, you can hear the tape just like, you know, <laughs> churning in the, in the cassette player. Right. Um, and, you know, as Matt was telling us last episode, every time you've, you know, redubbed this thing, it loses a generation. You can just hear more and more of that tape. You can hear plenty the first time I ever listened to it. Um, and I know that one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about Gamehenge this episode is because I have never been able to get through the man who gets, or who stepped in the yesterday in its entirety. Every time I attempt it, I start it from, you know, track one through the narrations. I probably get about to like Tila and I drop off. Um, so in having to like deep dive into this, uh, we had to listen to all the shows that it's been played at. And it's not that many. That's what I did. I didn't listen to the man who stepped into yesterday. Sorry, <laughs> That's fail. <totally> cool. <laughs> I listened so to cool. I listened to all the shows that it's been played at. Yeah, and it, it's uh, to be fair, it's really hard to listen to the man who stepped into yesterday. It's really easy to drift off the narrations, uh, the qu- tape quality, everything. I think together, it's not live. You can obviously tell that they're just like in a room recording this stuff. Um, it's it's hard. It's hard to to sit through the whole thing. Um, I think what finally got me through it was I had to go on the internet and find a website that had a transcribed uh, copy of exactly what's going on in the man that stepped in the yesterday. So as he's going through the narrations and reading the songs, it was almost like a book on tape. More, right, more right, than right. It was like sure. a listening experience. Sure. Um, that is, I think, the only reason I actually got through it. Um, so what are it. what are the official Gamehenge? songs because i i mean for the most part with the narrations the, the or shows without? with the narrations okay cool what, what are they so you start out with the the head narration you go into the lizards there's another narration you go into tila another narration into wilson narration acdc bag narration so it starts sorry with the lizards correct okay acdc yeah. bag um, no, Tila, then Wilson, yep, then ACDC, then ACDC bag. bag. Each time with narration in between, Correct. unless I say otherwise. Colonel Correct. Forbin's Ascent and Fly Famous Mockingbird. They're always played back to back. Yep. Um, we'll go into why. Uh, narration Sloth, narration Possum. That's the end of it. Huh. I see most of the shows I've listened to are Sloth and then I thought into McGrupp. So... Close. And then some Close. of them are, some of them are divided. There. No, no. Oh, yeah. Possum is not in any of the shows that I listen to. Okay. With narration. Possum oh. is not in one of those shows. Oh. So you're saying, so let's tell the people what we're uh, ref- referencing here. What shows are we talking about? So the shows you pulled for me are 31288 and yep. that's at Nectar's. Correct. Right? That's the first time they played. First time they ever played it live. Gamehenge. Yeah. Right. Nectars. So I listened to that one. That's the first time. Mm-hmm. Then we move on 
Is there any, do we move on to 94 already? No, 93. No, 93. 322, 93. Correct. They don't play it. You're right in that show. They Not end, the first one either. Uh, they, it's the sloth with an end narration into McGrupp and the Watchful. Yeah, Bowl. correct. Uh, Hosemaster. S- Housemasters. 62694. <laughs> uh, 62694. So, no possum. Um, <laughs> there is a no possum. You're right. And then 7894, your favorite. There is yeah. also no possum. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know why. And I you wonder that. why I fight you when you say that possum is part <laughs> of Game Henge. It, it very much is. And you know what? Um, it's on The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So by those standards, yes. It's really funny because that song is, uh, I mean, let's, let's, let, let me start it with this way. So the Game Henge story is yes. that you have this man, Colonel Forbin who is yes. down on his life, basically. He's really depressed. He's not really feeling it. He's outside walking his dog one day, and he sees this portal that's been mesmerizing him. And, you know, today he decides that he's going to walk through the portal. Boom, we land That's in. a very specific opening narration. The narration changes in all these shows, throughout yeah. the shows. One of, them, one of them, he's in the dentist chair, and right, he's trying to drift off. Trying to drift away into this land and think of something else. Uh, right. Most of the stories have him actually looking in the mirror, shaving his face, right. and having that you know like realistic moment where he realizes he wasted his life and you know he's retired. And so then he decides, yeah, he's gonna, but he's gonna go walk his dog and he's gonna go through the portal. But he's seen the portal many times before. Yeah, uh, the one show that you were uh, pulling that little clock narration from yes, that you enjoy ticking. so much yeah yes. that show uh it's ice is obviously he's skating on on a you know a pond or a lake or whatever and he looks down in the ice and gets sucked in that way um and then the one that you did do you said you didn't listen to or didn't listen that closely to six twenty six ninety four. they yeah. start with kung they open with kung okay the kung chant interesting and that also so, refers to Game Hinge. I think the important thing to do here is like, let's talk about it as the man who stepped into yesterday and we'll talk about the live. Because I think one thing to denote about both of them is that obviously one is a thesis and specifically trying to, again, be like an audiobook and tell a story. The other one's being worked into a set. Correct. Um, okay, so, so you speak about the man who stepped into yesterday. So, I mean, the story as it unfolds, now he's there, he's in Game Hinge, he, the lizard He goes through the portal, yep. Right, the lizards is like, Describing obviously the universe that you just walked into, he just sees um, Rutherford the bla- uh, Brave leaned up against a tree in a suit of like rugged armor, and they go hang out, and like the, that's the lizard song. So as you're walking through this narration, you're walking through. I almost think of it like uh, I don't know if you've ever read this book, The Phantom Toe Booth. Um, it's this guy who, this little kid who walks into another world. It's very similar, but um, when I'm at that point in the narration, that's kind of you know where my brain's at. So then he hangs out with um, Rutherford the Brave. He tells him about what's been going on, about how Wilson, who's the king of their realm, has stolen this book, the Helping Friendly book, that Iculus, the god of this world, gave to the lizard people. And it was all the secrets to the universe. The lizards decide to use it to live in peace among nature. Wilson decides to use it to empower himself over these people. Um, So... It's this super rich story. Uh, uh, Colonel Forbin meets a, a, a woman named Tila who's helping Rutherford the Braves uh, in a resistance. She's one of the leaders of the resistance. And it's a very classic story. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a, a very, very good versus evil. 
one one man triumphs overall. It's a very very classic tale. Yeah, and some of it is like super relatable. I, I in the lizards they talk about uh, the true key to the helping friendly book is surrendering to the flow. Like there's a lot of really interesting subtle Love philosophy. Like yeah, embedded into this story. Um, and yeah, I mean after. Tila, we walk into Wilson. That is Aaron Wolf, uh, who's another uh, leader of the resistance, uh, talking about Wilson specifically and you know his hate for Wilson and how he's turned this perfect I a, world. I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. I bet you don't know the answer, but I'm going <laughs> to pose it as a question to make it playful. Okay. Do you know when the first time uh, the Wilson they added the Wilson chant to Wilson? Oh, the... The crowd response? The chant, I yeah. do not know the answer to that question. You know, I so I specifically looked this up because all the shows I listen to, all of them, maybe with the exception of one, uh, there is no Wilson chant. Yeah. And to me, it sounds very strange because I so know that song with the chant. <laughs> um, so I was reading a bunch of blogs. Um, it officially happened. It officially started, if you read the blogs, uh, on 4-15-94 in Beacon, New York. Mm. That's when it officially started. Four fifteen ninety four. So you yeah. should have heard it in the six twenty six ninety four, and the it, it was seven, yeah, it was eight, in ninety four. Um, I don't. Yeah, I would. I we could pull it up. Uh, do you want to cue that the six twenty six ninety four the Wilson? Let's do it. <laughs> There's also a really funny clip if you go online and you type in twelve thirty ninety four. It's actually the recording of a live one. Um, you can see Trey egging the audience on uh, when he, they start Wilson. They do the donut, donut, and then you know one or two people say Wilson, and Trey is getting like super excited, and you can see him like walking around, and he's like throwing his arms, and he's like trying, he's like t- egging on the crowd to to, <laughs> to do the Wilsons. It's really funny. That's awesome. Definitely All right, worth so checking out. right now we're gonna have the Wilson from six twenty six ninety four with them actually doing the chant. See, it's not there. This is six twenty uh, six ninety four. You, you know they're leaving the space now, though. Like like you're saying, they're maybe they're trying to turn it. There it was. Right, it's like one dude. And as he stands there, they come <laughs> That's awesome. So it's still developing at this point. I mean, it's. See, that's how I'm used to it starting. Yeah, yeah. You know what, though? Now that you're saying that, it's interesting that you bring that up. That's like, you know, I never realized that um, at the end of Susie Greenberg, there's yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't yeah. start till way later. Like, you start picking. I, I right. That's one of the cool things about uh, the podcast that I'm really starting to enjoy is that we're, like, diving deeper into these years that we probably wouldn't be listening to otherwise. I know my two go-to years are 95 and 97. Right. But now, because of this show specifically, I was going back and listening to 93, uh, I 94. I'm a huge fan of 94. I, okay. I commonly listen to shows from 94. Okay. That's, like, my... My favorite year to go back and listen to it. Mostly because I do I do, do a lot of readings. I read a lot about the, the band and a lot of really pivotal, uh, famous, uh, you know, happening stuff happens in 94. You know, I think a good thing to call out to J3PO talked about it in uh, his episode um, is that it's just a time and a place, too, and like where they're at. 
So to me, 94, 95 is like pinnacle of them starting to pack these huge venues and, you know, have these massive roaring crowds come out to see them. So adrenaline wise, you know, as a member of the band, they're probably feeling that energy and just going nuts. I, I, I think it's a pretty consistent build for me over time. Uh, even listening from 95 to 97, jumping those two years where I've most often like uh, jumped or gone to, um, it just seems like that was just the trend that they were on to just where they were with their career and spreading as a band and getting people to go. Um, so yeah, where were we? I'm leaving off with Wilson. We're in ACDC bag. So now, um, one of the members of the resistance, I forget it's a uh, Wilson's accountant, Mr. Palmer, Mr. Palmer. Um, he gets caught funneling the money from the kingdom into the resistance. So he gets put up on Wil- Wilson catches him Correct. giving the money to. Yeah. Right. So, the um, what we can probably discern from at this point is that Tila is the one who's giving him that information. Cause after Tila and that narration, um, I think it's Rutherford the brave comes in and chokes her out, kills her. <laughs> like straight out right after obviously Colonel Forbin's confessed his love, which is what Tila is about. So now, um, after, see, I don't know if I'm just not listening close enough or I'm supposed to deduce information. Let me tell you, that's one of the things about the man who stepped into yesterday when you're ah. trying to do it with the narrations and the ah. songs themselves. And it's, it's hard. You've heard these songs broken up across sets. You've heard them as like their own song. But when you're trying to get into it as a story, it's a lot of like paying attention and picking stuff apart, which is why the only reason I got it was by reading it as it was happening and realizing all these things. I didn't know Tila was a like a love song from Colonel Foreman to, you know, her. Well, and that's then, then ba- she- no, that's basic information. I mean, but she dies right after. That's the information that I needed. That's the part of the movie scene that's missing, is that he confesses her his love to her, and she, then she immediately dies, uh, which is interesting. And I think a, a a larger thing to Colonel Forbin's story is that it's kind of terrible to be Colonel Forbin. Um, so let's keep going. So he he decides after um, Mr. Palmer dies that he's going to, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to climb up the mountain that Iculus, the god of this realm, is on and I'm just going to go see if I can get a copy of the Helping Friendly book and stop all this nonsense. So that's Colonel Forbin's ascent <laughs> and famous mocking. It's a quest that no one's ever embarked on before and no one, if no one knows it's real, it can really happen. So it's a very uh, fatalistic Right, because it's been so many years, no one would even attempt to walk on sacred ground of a god, you know, that type of shit. Right. So now he gets to the top. Iculus is like, yo, I'll hook you up with a book. Uh, but by the way, this is, this is like easily for like the... Um, it's easily for like the good of all mankind or it could, it could become the worst thing in the world. It's like the key to the helping friendly book. Correct. So he, <laughs> he takes this book back down to the people. Then uh, Fly Famous Mockingbird narration. Now um, Aaron Wolf is like, cool, we got the book now. We just need to kill Wilson. No, no. So the yes. Mockingbird, yeah, comes back with the Helping Friendly book. Correct. And he lays it at his he, feet. On the, on the floor, He lays yeah. it at his feet. And he starts to get that look in his eye that Gollum gets with for, for the ring. <laughs> and he starts okay. to realize that all, if all he, has, all he can do, all he has to do now is kill Wilson. Right. And he could inherit all the power. Correct. So he's already corrupt. Already, he Correct. gets he hires the sloth. The sloth kills Wilson, and um, 
I think the reason why McGrupp and the Watchful uh, Hose Master is important is because that's where you find out that like Colonel Forbin's still in jail. This it is, is obviously... Hose Master. <laughs> I was saying House Master. Yeah, it's Hose Master. That's why I always laugh when I say. <laughs> yeah, um, Hose Master. So yeah, we that's the basic. We've we've gotten into the basic of uh, of Gamehenge. What's so, your favorite Gamehenge song? That's a great question. I would say it's a really really like close one between Wilson and. The lizards. Mine's it's, always uh, been the lizards. It's and it will never change. Honestly, I take that back. I'm gonna say it's more of uh, ACDC bag and the and the ACDC bag is great. Yeah. It's a really good song. Yeah, I'm not really. But I'm the lizards not... is very magical sounding, <laughs> and I do feel like I'm getting transported to another place when I listen to it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it does a really good setup. Uh, th- what's really interesting about that song is that's written from uh, Colonel Forbin, his direct perspective. He uses I, and he's being led by right. by Rutherford the Brave. So it's told from his direct perspective. A lot of the other stuff is written from a third person perspective. Yeah, that's um, why I like that. That's why I like it the most because I feel drawn into the story because I'm the same person as Colonel Forbin. And right. Yeah, they're saying there's a place where we could go. Like I'm, I'm on the adventure with him. Right. Yes, I'm standing in for him. Yeah. So let's talk about the the four shows that we're talking about because I think this ties in perfectly. We both had a show that we liked more than the others. Uh, mine was seven eight ninety four, and I believe your was yours the three twenty two ninety three. Um, I like that one. Is that the one I like just because the narration is the clearest? I think that's the one that ends uh, with the encore. Three twenty-two ninety-three. Yeah. yeah, that's the one we started with a clip from the show from. So w- what's interesting to uh, I like that one. So it starts in set. Actually, so Gamehenge begins in set two, but it doesn't open set two. Golgi opens set two, and right. then they go into it's ice, and then they go into narration, the start of Gamehenge and the lizards and Magrup. Um, that is played again at the end towards that series. Uh, there's a really great. Like six minutes in, the song's like nine something. Six minutes in, Paige just starts to go fucking crazy on the keys, and it's great. It's like super, like jazzy, funky, like really, really cool. So that's the one I like. But again, the narrations are very clear, and Trey's just like very excited to be narrating it. Yeah. Some of the earlier ones are very like muffled, and I think he's trying to sound serious. So he's like, yeah. And then, you know, but but he's very excited in in that one. I'm gonna gonna pull up a little bit of that McGrupp right there. The part you're talking about. If you go like six minutes in. Yeah, I'm, I'm like 6.30 in. Yeah, so then like, let's listen. So while he's getting into it, you were saying you thought the narrations of this one were the clearest? I believe so. Out of all three shows? I've listened to all four now, and they all kind of blend together in my head, so it's okay. hard for me now to pick certain things out, but yeah. So is part of why you like this show is because of like where it's placed in the set, like what's what in the first set, and like what they encore? Like is, is the rest of the show makeup really driving your decision on this show? That's a really interesting question. Honestly, I didn't go in and listen to these shows as shows in their entirety. I just listen to the game hench part see fucking page is going crazy like ragtime <laughs> a little more jazzy than ragtime yeah, okay i said jazz i originally said jazz but for some reason that just reminded me of ragtime right there <laughs> and i know they're different um 
So I only went in and plucked out the game hinge portions of these shows. I didn't listen to them in their entirety. So Got the it. placement of it has has no no pre, you know has no weight on it for me. Right. So I went around and this shows just how terrible my ADHD is. I had to listen to each of these shows about three times each. So I've I've been spending a lot of time on each of them, and the first time I listened to them, I only listened to the Game Henge expert uh, excerpt. Um, the second time. I listen to their respective sets because the Game Henge in its entirety basically takes up an entire set with maybe one or two songs around it. Right. Um, is this the one where they end with Mike's Hydrogen Weekapog? Uh, I believe yes. Yeah, this, this, is, then, this is a good one. Then you get Amazing Grace and Fire as an encore. They did, pretty, they did uh, Amazing Grace a lot as an encore in these sh- few shows we listened to, and I'm wondering if that's a thing. Um, I don't know. I, I've seen them pl- sing Oh Holy Night, not Amazing Grace, though. <laughs> They do that for Baker's cousin. <laughs> yeah. Um, this this particular show, when when I have the conversation uh, with others, and I've had it with J3PO. I also have had it a couple times on um, on the Book of Faces and some of my fish groups. Um, people like this show more than the '94 show that I like. And I think a big portion Three, of it... 32293, the one we're listening to right now. Right, My yeah. favorite one. I, yeah. I think the reason for that is because of what's surrounding it. And, you know, they they shred on that uh, Jimi Hendrix fire encore. Like, it, there's a bunch of really awesome things going on in this. I mean, they, they end with David Bowie. It's like a 14-minute David Bowie. Um, there's a bunch... I, 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 I get it. I get it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But let me, let me take you over to, to my show. I'm over your show. I want to talk a little bit about like why. Sounds I like great. It. I have a question for you. In the meantime, yeah, yeah. What dog do you picture Colonel Forbin having? Having been? No, no. Like if you close your eyes and you imagine it, Colonel Forbin's walking his dog. He was in the army, so either a German Shepherd or like. A, so that's where your mind goes because there's one narration. House. There's one yeah. narration where Trey says he's got his little dog. Oh he yeah, his little dog. There's one of them where he says it's like a hound. It's like a bloodhound or something. Okay. But a hound is a small dog. It's not a very big dog. Yeah, like a beagle. Yeah, yeah, they're little dogs are like hot dogs. They're, but they're like you know they're hunting dogs. Colonel Forbes might be getting down with a rifle still. I don't know. He's in. I mean, he's out in Long Island. I don't really know about that. So, all um, right. So let's get into yours. So seven, seven eight ninety four. Where is that place in the set? I don't have notes on that. So where is Game Hinge? The first set. And they so, open with what? Not llama. narration. Yeah, Llama. So let's talk about Llama. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. Why is it played sometimes with Game Henge and other times not? Uh, How is it associated to Game Henge? I mean, honestly, just for this song being an opener, I don't think it really has anything to do specifically with Game Henge. I just think it's a rocking song. It's a good... I mean, in this Llama case, it's does a have tie-in association with Game Henge, and I don't know how. I thought you'd know this. No, I don't. I okay. don't. We'll, well, have to, we'll have to come back to it. Yep, let's come back to it. Um, but This the, is a rockin' Llama. It's a yeah. great llama. It's only three minutes, 48 seconds long. It's really short. So That's how you gauge a good llama. It's <laughs> the opposite of in and out. seeing how long they are. Like in it's and the out only right? fish song where the shorter it is, you're like, yeah, that must have been great. Super speedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. So the reason why I like this show, NO2. NO2 is a weird song that I've gotten, I think, once or twice um, it's basically a dude in a chair getting his teeth drilled out. and it sounds That's why they play this? NO2? Yeah. NO2 is the vehicle by which we get into Game Engine in this show. So NO2 right. is 
the guy sitting in the chair. What does NO2 stand for? Nitrous. Yeah, yeah. So he's getting gas. Uh, dioxide. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's getting laughing gas. That's funny. That's um, a funny joke. So as he's getting his teeth drilled, he starts filling the drill, hit his teeth. And he's like, he had to get out of there because he can still feel it even though he's on laughing gas. So he, he like, does a third body experience, you know, like an outer body experience and falls into, and then we get to game hinge. So I thought it was a really cool and like NO2 is only, or no two uh, is only two minutes and 12. So it's like a very quick, like, boom, we're going to get, use it as a place to get there. And that's, you know, your standard um, game henge set. But then when they come out of McGrupp and the watchful uh, hose master, and yes. I, I, they did it in your show too. They went right into divided sky and divided sky became like a thing as he's getting out of uh, hose master. He just, he just starts talking about like him looking up into the air right. and like so, looking so, at the stars. So hose master, McGrupp, we keep calling it Hostmaster, but they call it McGrupp. <laughs> McGrupp yeah. and Divided Sky are also, again, not part of Gamehenge, but they're commonly right. played in and around Gamehenge because they're both songs that happen after this whole fall of the Lizards. Well, it's the fall of Wilson. It's, I mean, the, the whole... McGrupp, McGrupp. McGrupp is a shepherd, right? He's talking about... It's a story from a, a shepherd's point of view who lives on the outskirts of the village. Right, and it's after Game Henge has happened. Like years after, right. years right. after. Right. right, 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 right. And then Divided Sky takes place before the downfall. And it's when they just used to live in harmony with nature and praise the sky and have this ritual that they would go out to and sing to the sky. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. It's great. And there, there are other songs that we're not going to get into today, but that also deal with uh, Game Henge. Right, you only S- wanted to do just straight Game Henge. Yeah, yeah, because there's yeah. Esther. Esther came out of the narrations. Uh, there's this little uh, looty part in the original, "The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday." That song later becomes Esther. Um, Iculus. I actually. What is what is the man who stepped into yet? Like, isn't that a song, or it's just the title? Uh, I've seen it in set lists. But yeah, when we when we, when we were it, at a Magnaball. It was the man who, J3PO freaked out over them playing the man who stepped into yesterday. And I didn't know that was an actual song. I just thought it was the name. Yeah, it's actually in, I believe it's in of one of the four shows. So, um. We don't have to, we, I mean, you can go and research it. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, again, well, There's I'm a sure, lot of songs, I'm sure, associated with Game Hinge. Um, I'm sure that, uh. J3PO as well as uh, Matt are both going to be people that we have back on the show. We just have to write these <laughs> down for them, I'm sure. JPO Later. Or J3PO will come in ready yeah, to go. Yeah, sh- shelf like, it. We'll <laughs> table it for another day. So, yeah, again, yeah, for sure, for sure. what also gets me into my show, I think a little more than 93, you, you were saying before that the narrations were clear on, um, on the 93 show, but on the 94 show that uh, we're talking about, 7, 8, uh, there are a couple of them in there where he kind of keeps the gag going and he kind of takes the narration for a walk in a way that I really appreciated. So yeah. it seemed like the 88 version. And then there was, I think that there was a 91 in there too. There was, I think there was four or five shows in total that I think it's four. Anyway, 88, 93 and two ninety four. Yeah. So it, the, the 88 and the 93 are very, very close to the man who stepped into yesterday narration. So by the time you get to right. 94 and like the seven, eight, I believe is the last time they've ever done it in its entirety. It, it got a little more playful. Again, I think it worked into the set a little better. The sure. crowd behind it is insane. For you who loves energy, when they get out of uh, the end of uh, Lizards, which we opened the show with, you can just hear them just roaring. I mean, I roared, uh, rolled the audio out, but 
yeah. it just doesn't stop into the next song. And then every time he mentions a major character, the crowd just... So for me, it was the environment that they cultivated within the room. Everybody just wanted to just hear the story and be a part of it. And I think for a band, it's a really hard thing to pull off a kitschy, like awesome story built into a set to the point where the crowd Not cares fish, enough to though. get it. Not for fish, of course, <laughs> but you know, they've, they've done something special here. And I, that's why I wanted to talk about Game Henge. I think getting any little bit of song of it now in its broken parts, and I've gotten in like a two song run. I've gotten like, you know, two songs here, three songs there, broken out through a set. The second it comes on, People are just like, oh, Game Edge. I got a Game Edge tonight. Oh, my God. Did you, how many Game Edges? Like, it immediately sparks this conversation. And when you think about it from a band history perspective, it's not technically an album. They didn't record it with a major label, but it's the first thing recorded that I've ever witnessed of theirs that goes that far back. A lot of those tunes, when you listen yeah, to... Yeah, it's, like, it's part of their lore, man. Yeah, and when you listen to 91 shows, you listen uh, that far back, they play five or six songs... From all of Gamehenge, you know, every couple shows. Like, it's, it's just a thing. It's the so reps on in, it in most insane. recent time, what was I looking at? It was 2013, right? The Jump Truck MSG show. In most recent time, that's when they played the, the most Gamehenge songs in 3.0. Sorry, I had to crack this. Mocha Merlin that's okay. again. That's so freaking good. Um, let's talk a little bit about it. What, are you, let's, what, what is the kid drinking? <laughs> I just opened another. Yeah. So uh, last episode, we obviously got really deep into, we started talking about marketing Music. for fish. Yeah. We were talking about all aspects of this stuff with Matt and we kind of neglected our, our reset a little bit. So I wanted to come back and talk about the Mocha Merlin again, just cause I can't stop drinking a Porter and that boggles my mind cause I hate them. Um, yeah, let's, let's speak to this. I called this your gateway beer today. <laughs> This is going to be your gateway this into is my dark portal beers. to uh, exactly my portal to Darkhenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Malthenge. What do we want to call Malthenge. it? Malthenge. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you don't like dark beer. No. And you don't like coffee. No. And that is a coffee porter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up allergic to chocolate. Yeah. Uh, I also don't like peanut butter. I also. Don't really have a bitter palate. I like sweeter things. I'm not really on the savory side. Um, so, I mean, that's why when we were talking about the first beers we went to, and, you know, you went to a Nugget Nectar, super freaking bitter. I went to <laughs> Allagash Triple, super sweet. Um, porters and Stouts just don't seem like a place for my palate to, to really go. Would you try another dark beer from Firestone I, I'll try any dark beer. There are just very few that I like. Um, let me just say that. I'll, I'll try any beer that's put in front of me and try them several times. You know, I'll go back and revisit stuff um, to see if the taste has changed. But it's just not... Uh, when you tell me, like, hey, kid himself, what do you want to drink? I'm like, uh, I want to drink, you know, either something Belgian or, you know, a rice ale. That's pretty New England IPA. That's it. There's only like three go-tos right now. So then isn't this beer a testament to my whole philosophy where if you brew a beer style well, it's something that you will enjoy? Yes. Right. And cool. I want to get all into that after we take a quick 15-minute break. Uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about Gamehenge Brewing Company, which I've only whispered about. See the, see, the, see the theme I got going here? This little We're going to take a, no, a journey into another game henge. Yeah. 
Gamehenge of beer and and exploration through uh, you know flavor profiles and methodology and you know all the great stuff that has me making beer under that uh, pen name. Let's call it. Let's pretend I'm a I'm, I can write. I'm a poet. My beer pen name is Gamehenge Brewing Company. Um, Dope. So stick around with us, and we will be right back after this short fifteen minute break.
to guide you brew with me, the Lizza. And I am the kid himself. And now we're going to be switching gears. Fish to beer. Well, I'm still drinking this Mocha Merlin. Still, you're still drinking the Mocha Merlin. I would like to say that I'm drinking a Barrier Iculus, and this is a theme <laughs> drink. I picked this on purpose. Theme drink. Nice. Um, what is the Iculus? It's a Kolsch. It's a Kolsch-style beer. I know we talk about uh, Barrier a lot on this show, and it's mostly just because they always have um, fish songs. Their beer is named after fish songs. Okay. Uh, it's, they have like four, right? They have a lot. They have a lot. Um, but this this is a brand. It's not brand new. It's just it's like new to the market, so it's super fresh. It's a Kolsch style beer. Okay. Um, and I'm again, as you guys know, in my late man beer drinking career, uh, where I want just pilsners, lagers, things that are easy drinking. I really hope um, you come back around to that. I can't believe that. That's a Kolsch a is not a pilsner or a lager. It's an ale. Um, but it ferments really clean. Okay. You can ferment it at, at ale like temperatures, ferments really clean. It's closer to a lager or a pilsner. And then it's got that little acid, right? I like Kolsch's. Yeah. I think they're it's really underrated. Acidity. They're very easy drinking. What, what, it, tell me more about that. Cause everybody always talks about, you know, the ale temperatures. Well, I get all that, but there's something else going on in this beer. Is it salt? There's salt in this beer. There's not salt in this beer. What's the one I'm, th- I'm thinking of something else. You're thinking of a Goza, my other beer that I brought. Uh, eh, yeah, see? Kolsch, go on. There's something I'm, we're, we're missing a key thing here, I feel like. Am I just crazy? Am I just confused? I don't know. Goza? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what we're missing here. This is just a really good Kolsch. It's a straightforward, like just very flavorful, nice and light, easy drinking Kolsch. The uh, artwork is amazing. It's what I'm checking out. It literally is a uh, game hinge. It's great. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it's they have the helping friendly book on here. They have the mockingbird. This is pretty clutch. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's it's cool that they appreciate fish so much. I'm they surprised do. they haven't done like a fish beer yet. Like I think a, they might have like they like an actual have. like served it like like served there exclusively like the, like all that good jam. I want to say they did uh, when I was um, working Randall's Island. I actually worked that event to help the tents pour beer. Um, I want to. There's definitely a six point. It might not have been barrier, but. Yeah, they love fish, and they name a lot of beers after fish, and I love it. And this is a really good Kolsch, really good, nice, easy-drinking, solid Kolsch. Yeah, it's super pretty. It looks like straw. It's greatly carbonated. Yeah. Um, it's very so mild. Col- I'm Kolsch, so used to things This being... is not wrong. I hope this isn't wrong. I'm pretty sure this is right. Kolsch is an ale yeast, but it's fermented at very low temperatures, like a lager. And yeah. that's what you know controls the esters, controls all the crazy... Yeah, you're right. Flavors and ale imparts and makes it just a little bit cleaner, but you still get a lot of flavor from that that yeast. Yeah, it's all at the front end of the beer, like right. when I taste it, which is interesting because generally when I think of yeast and imparting flavor on a beer, I kind of, as a brewer, try to like separate. It's almost like the way you separate uh, the way a flavor is supposed to hit your palate. So it's like front, middle, and back of your mouth. Um, sure, I've separated the way I think about beer almost too sectionally where I'm like hops are always like the front, like the front in the end. Like I put them in boxes too much. And I think beers like Kolsch's remind me that you can kind of blur uh, the core four ingredients really well. Yeah. 
it's super clean, but you still get yeast flavors at the front. And this beer still, is like, like slightly hoppy, bready to me like too, crisp. like bready. Like it reminds me of like a German beer, but like a lighter German beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like like I hate beers that are like you know heavy, doughy, bready. I hate I don't like German beers that are taste like I'm eating raw bread dough. Um, and this has a bit of that, a very, very, very tiny hint of it. But I like that it has that because it reminds me of the, the German kind of traditions of this beer. But it's light and kind of easy drinking. This is like the perfect beer to drink with like anything. I could eat this with like Can you be a little more chops, specific? <laughs> pork chops. I, I'm just thinking German. I'm on the German train, you know, because I think a Kolsch is So I should be eating like sauerkraut pretzels, and Pretzels and mustard, spicy mustard. And yeah, sausages. sausages. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. All this is great. I can say one that. thing when I was uh, in Munich is that you get really tired of sausages and sauerkraut. <laughs> I ended up That's eating, blasphemous. I ended up eating at what would be like our version of a 7-Eleven there. So like a chain, like a uh, very low end quality quick check 7-Eleven. Right. Convenience store? Convenience store. Uh-huh. I would walk right in. Uh, there was one day I remember I was just walking around the city. It was like kind of snowing. And I pop in, and they have um, tartare, beef tartare spread on a toast. And it was so fresh and amazing looking that I got it at a 7-Eleven. It was one of the most delicious things I've ever had. And it was like two euro, <laughs> which is like... In Munich? Two fifty. yeah. Huh. Tell me where you can get like fresh, awesome tartare in a 7-Eleven, first of all. <laughs> Why did that place have it? I don't know. It's just different. They eat different snacks and stuff. So it was a lot of um, a lot of like sausage and like meats. salami and yeah, like, yeah, yeah a bunch meats. of stuff like that, just all just sitting on toast. Huh. It was very interesting. And would the beer, this beer the, pair well with that? Uh, yeah, definitely for sure. <laughs> I would do it. Great. Don't even. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Gamehenge Brewing Company. Yes, the pet project. As I call it. Yeah, just describe it in normal English. So this thing that I've created is... The end goal is to have a space where one could come and have beer. I mean, I feel like I'm about to describe tourist. (laughs) So let me just cut to the chase. Where the beer is, is the focal point of why you come in there, but everything around it is paired with it. Does that make sense? So I want to create that experience when I create a beer. I want it to be eaten with a very specific thing. I want it to be like an experience. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now in terms of like brewing is expanding out into different styles within the same genre of beer. So make a bunch of different types of pale ales, a bunch of different types of IPAs, uh, really trying to focus on pulling out specific flavors and the goal ultimately would be to have two beers in the same style that are paired with different things and that it explodes in a bunch of many different places it's like the reason why i want to be a certain size of brewery it's also like the reason why i want to like have a specific like if i were ever to go pro with this all it would be very specific I've got it down to the decimal, <laughs> which is funny because if you've ever met me, I don't do that with anything. I don't. <laughs> so it sounds like you're describing essentially what can be called as a brew pub. Yeah. 
right, a really right. fancy am I, one. Am I just, I'm not <laughs> trying you, to oversimplify it. But. Yeah, if you go to this brew pub, you would drink all your beer in a wine glass with your pinky out and you'd have a monocle. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, it, it would be very like high end. Like this is not just to go get drunk and drink a bunch of Coors Light. This is like to go have an experience and like enjoy the beer that you're drinking. If you want to come in and we got a lager in the summertime and you're getting hammered, I don't really care, but yeah, but I'm, I don't know. It just constantly moves and shifts and changes. It's the same yeah, way. Yeah. That like, it's um, like farm to table, the way that like yeah. chefs approach like cooking with the seasons and just putting constraint on what they have around them. Yeah. That's kind of what you want to do with your brewing as well Correct. as food. So, I mean, again, it's not, that's a, if, if I were to go pro, what that means right now is I just give people a bunch of really free beer and sometimes invite them over to eat very specific types of food and like try to see if what I'm trying to accomplish is possible. So I know what that means coming next. I just finished making uh, before the Super Bowl party and we made that awesome uh, cucumber size on that you came up with. Uh, we did a pale ale. And the problem with the pale ale was that the viscosity was too a little too thin, just wasn't quite there. So, 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 so what do you have coming up next? So the goal is now to kind of double back a little bit. I kind of want to go to an IPA, just a straight uh, American IPA, and I'm messing with uh, adjusting my grain percentages with my adjuncts and my uh, like regular grain. And I'm also messing with like different percentages of carapils and stuff like that. So I'm going to probably do the beer that I'm jumping to like two or three times and mess with each one of those things slightly different to just see what happens like as it gets, you know, closer to 8% and how that affects, you know, how it gets sweeter as opposed to like how sweet, uh, I'm sorry, how alcoholic it tastes and like vice versa in the reverse. Because obviously when you go to a pale ale and eventually at one point I would like to make a session IPA, you're trying to figure out how to impart grain, like the taste of grain into a beer, but like be very light handed with it. And it's really freaking hard. It's really complicated. So you're um, like, Game Edge Brewing Company is a brewing company. Yeah. Um, and you're like in recipe development right now, basically. Uh, it's a pet project. <laughs> yeah, no, you're developing your recipes, which yeah. is cool. And just figuring out, like, it's like uh, an artist playing with one specific color and, right. like, rotating through those colors. Right. And, like, figuring out how, like, the, the fundamentals of their future work. You know, Picasso did it with blue. Sure. I don't know. That's the only one sure. I can call off the top of my head because I don't like art. But <laughs> That's cool. It's and a then, deep dive. So what is uh, your... J3P yeah. is doing the, a very similar thing with his uh, single hop. Uh, yeah. series. It's like it's every brewer kind of has their own way of figuring out their mechanics and they're working through stuff. I also think it just uh, allows us to start getting creative and like start thinking outside the box while still using the core four in respectable ways. Cause there's some yeah, stuff it's putting restraints on yourself. Yeah. It's, it's learning how to be restrained and, and using the limited resources you have to maximize the most flavor. Yeah, and it's an interesting... Which is the way that we're going to have really good chef cooks as well. Yeah, and it's an interesting state to be in. Uh, 
when you have someone like J3PO, who's obviously more advanced than that, you know, uh, I've had the opportunity of going to a lot of different places and watching professionals brew. Uh, and, and that's everything from small scale, three barrel systems going all the way up to, I think the largest one I've seen at this point was Avery. And Avery was what, seven? No, it was more than 70. It was like, a, <laughs> it was freaking huge. Allagash was big too. I think those were both, one of them is above 100 barrels. Um, and it's just the, everything changes, uh, you know, access to ingredients, uh, how they brew and develop new styles, like what they do, like, and the approaches are all different. And what's interesting to me the most is that Allagash has that program where if you work with them, you can always brew on their pilot system and you can develop new beers and, you know, if they're digging it, it can actually become a beer that they make. Sure. Uh, a lot of breweries do that. I think that just opens up so much creativity and just allows for so, some really... I'm sure there's some bad beers that come out, but I'm sure they're... I think they're at like four or five at this point that it's in like... Not regular rotation, but that they've released. What are you drinking now? I'm drinking my favorite Gozes. Whew. I haven't had it in a long time. <laughs> it's um, Ritter Guts. Goza from Germany. Nice. So where in Germany is that from? I have no idea. All I know is it's German. It's authentic. It's a Goza. It's not like what people here think of as a Goza. It's a sour German beer with salt and spice added. It won a World World Beer Award. World? Just say that ten times fast. World, world Beer, beer Award. <laughs> so why, when you had this Goza... Was it your favorite? Like, why is it still, I guess, your favorite? It's brewed in the traditional way. It's still brewed in the traditional way. And it's been a specialty of the city of Leipzig since 1738. (laughs) See, again, someone who's been to Munich, beer is really weird in Europe. That two-tier system that they have, or whatever it's called, like where they can just buy out places and they just are all like macros, but like macros from a specific area and like whatever. It's, it's strange. <laughs> 1731, they started making that. 1738. Oh, 38. Goza is a natural product brewed with coriander and salt. As the traditional brewing process includes lactic fermentation as well as bottle conditioning, there is a possibility of yeast sedimentation in this bottle. We recommend gently shaking the bottle to mix the yeast before opening, which, which, which is what you saw that I did. <laughs> This I love this beer because it's honestly a, what I feel like is a German in, interpretation of a Belgian beer. Like a Belgian wit is brewed with coriander. That's what this is. Okay. This is a German wheat beer, essentially, brewed with coriander. And they use salt because they draw water in from the ocean. So it's un, like unfil, unsalted, unfiltered water. Oh. And that's what gives it the salinity. So this is very tart, but it's very tart in a very natural way. It's not tart in a very uh, produced, like super sour way. It's very natural to me. And you taste a lot of the salt. It's great. I think this beer is fantastic. Oh. Well, I got to finish up this uh, Iculus. I'm a beer behind, so. It reminds me of the ocean. (laughs) It reminds me of being near the ocean. (laughs) Cool. So, Game Engineering Company. So, yeah, I mean, it's something that I would like to take up most of my time, but for right now, it's just, 
me being able to put beer out there and have people try it, and, you know. So where can people try your beer? Uh, well, one of the beauties of homebrewing is, you know, having access to all that equipment. So there is a keezer in my very, very nice apartment. What that means is that I can bring growlers to people. Um, I can also bottle off. I do have a bottling gun, so I could do that. Um, I prefer growlers. I think it's, like, nicer and more environmentally friendly. Um, so how would people get access to this? How do people contact Game Henge Brewing uh-huh. Company for beer? Well, Game Henge Brewing Company, as my pet project does have an email address, Company at gmail.com. <laughs> cool. So reach no, out can, to there. You, you, reach out to there if you want free beer. If you want to get access. Which is technically illegal. <laughs> so we won't advertise that any further. Uh, but do it. No. Shoot, I mean, shoot you an email. No, I mean, I'm on... I'm shoot on, this brewer an email. <laughs> yeah. Shoot me an email. Give me those digits. I don't know. I cool, think, no, I, think so. I think if people want to... Uh, <laughs> I think if people want to get access to Gamehenge beer, all they have to do is have a conversation with me about it. I mean, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I mean, Gamehenge Brewing Company is all over those places. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we do this podcast and we say it's a Gamehenge Brewing Company project is just because it's us talking about beer. And, you know, you do often help me brew as well. So it's just one of those things where... It's part of what we're doing. It's part of the beer side as well as being still related to the fish side. <laughs> sure, it's a direct bridge. Why Gamehenge Brewing Company? Because uh, that's how the two of us met. Over and fish. It, it, yeah, we met over fish at a bar. Yeah. Because, <laughs> right. again, this, this podcast and what it stands for is that perfect meld of those two things. And how uh, two of the greatest loves of your life can bring like awesome people into your universe. So, yeah, I think there's something cosmic about people who really care about beer. There's a you know instant almost like charisma and like friendship that you meet at a bar when someone's drinking something. You're like, hey, what's that? And, you know, strike up good conversation. Sure. The only other place I've seen that is also at a fish show. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. Meeting strangers. I've met a couple people. You've met a couple people when you were down in Miami seeing them for New Year's in 2014. Like, yep. it, there's this weird cosmic thing about both fish and beer. And yeah. Game Henge Brewing Company is, again, the understanding of not only where that came from and how we met. I mean, you helped me develop recipes. You definitely helped in the brewing process. So it's the summation of all of that. Nice. Long-winded way to say, because of us. <laughs> Great. Cool. So do you have any, what, should we talk about some brewing tips or the way you brew? I feel um, like we should offer some knowledge to these listeners. You want to give them the helping friendly yeah, book? Yeah, give, give them some. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I actually, uh, I learned how to basically make a Berliner Weiss on a homebrew level the other day. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So you want to you want to impart that knowledge on people? Hey, you want to do something really, 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 really hard? <laughs> no, it's just uh, normally you have to like you know pitch a handful of grain into wort. Yeah, and keep it warm for right. A very long time. Incubate it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you can also the person who told me this um, just takes their wort, puts it in a keg. And then pitches in lactobacillus. So just like the yeast strain, you know, okay. the, the, the white lab's lacto you can get. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not yeast, it's lacto. But pitch that in and let it fucking do its thing in the keg and taste it, you know, until you want it to taste the way you want it yeah, to taste. You don't have a and pH, then you finish yeah. boiling it. And that's it. That's how he does it. It's pretty oh. cool. And then he divides up that wort after it's boiled and puts in a different carboys and blends it with different fruits and different, different you know, so concentrates just, and stuff. He's making a one gallon of each, but... He makes five gallons at a time, but divides it up into a couple different carboys so he can make a, diff- a couple different varieties of Berliners. Blueberry, yeah, yeah. passion fruit, you know, different things like that. Uh. All you, and then all you have to do is, you know, desanitize the keg. It's the only thing that touched wild, you know, bacteria. It's the keg. Yeah. Sounds pretty interesting. I don't know. It'd be cool. it, it, it piqued my interest because Again, it was like when we were. Talking, I thought it was something we couldn't achieve on a homebrew level. It, it, it's one of those things that you ask yourself: Is it worth the amount of work that it has to go into it? Like decoction, like we were talking about with J three PO. It's just you as a homebrewer because you don't have a jacketed uh, boil kettle and can't keep things at a very specific temperature. Like things are just limited. Uh, if you're like me brewing in an apartment, you can't leave your stove running for days on end. <laughs> Three days, I believe. Yeah. If And again, you don't have a pH scale reader. Like all these things, these instruments, the the stuff that you really need to nail these beers, it's just beyond the means of the average person. So it's it's an awesome thing when people find out more... Uh, I don't know, in creative ways to get at that and, and to solve those problems. But at the end of the day, I, for me personally, I'd just rather wait. Wait for what? <laughs> wait for the opportunity to, you know, once I have a garage, I hope, very soon, um, I would be able <laughs> to have a, like a traditional like mash recycling system. Like you could just get another kettle, like another, for me, it's a Blickman pot. You get a second one, drill a hole in it. You could uh, put a coil in it and you can actually start recirculating your mash and keeping like really awesome, uh, consistent temperature shoots up your efficiency. It also allows you to start doing stuff like that. You just have to, again, you can't do it overnight, but there's different techniques that open up as the gear gets better. And it's not massive changes, it's space changes. Yeah. When you're as small as, you know, having to be on a stovetop. I mean, one of the things I was reading, actually, about for this um, rice ale that I'm making, this IPA, it's ultimately going to be a rice IPA, um, with oats, which is one of the things I'm using to help the viscosity a little bit, make it a little more smooth, and, you know, it adds a little chewiness to it. Um they say when you get to a certain percentage in your total mash, you should take those oats aside with a little bit of, uh, you know, your two row or whatever else, and should actually put it on the stovetop and keep it at a very specific rest for 30 minutes first. And that helps to make it less like gelatinous and to actually like draw out more of the like convertibles that are going to give it some taste. So it's, I think it was somewhere like, it's super low too. It's like 104 to like 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Convertibles. So, yeah, whatever. Fermentables. Fermentables. <laughs> you knew what I mean. Convertibles a car. That's just why I'm bragging on you. <laughs> and it's cool, but it's like now you're talking about adding 30 minutes to an entire eight-hour process. So, so for me, it's it's kind of figuring out like is the percentage of my total mash worth it or am I okay to just throw it into my mash ton and just and just do my one single rest and call it a day so 
it, I don't know. Home brewing is an amazing art. Again, I've seen so many people do it so many different ways and turn out good product. I think at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Sure. Good product, good beer. Cool. So Rice IPA is next up. Yeah, I actually want that to eventually turn into a double IPA. And then I don't think I ever need to go past that point. I yeah. think a rice double IPA is already pushing the envelope and get it really super dry. Rice is a fickle, fickle thing. Yeah, that it is. <laughs> See, there's another one. Rice holes to stop stuck mash. Like you have all these things to consider when when trying to figure out how deep down that rabbit hole you really want to go with getting into different uh like extreme styles. Like I, I don't want to add puree to anything ever. The mess just seems like I do. I would do that. <laughs> Not right now, at least. I want to. I want to do it when I have access to a drain, a power hose, and you know, yeah, a wet vac. <laughs> All yeah. these things would be nice, and I'm totally down. <laughs> so that's the future. That's where I see Game Henge uh, Brewing going. Really, uh, you know, next step is getting to that next set of equipment and just being able to do these cooler, more awesome things and getting conical fermenters at that point. Even again, you have a garage, you can easily set that stuff up and it, it just allows you to grow to that next level. But ultimately, I don't think I would ever want to be bigger than just serving small batches of specifically paired uh, beers. Like I think one of the things I would do is actually number my batches and do series, like name the beers and do whatever, but do batch numbers. What's what's been your favorite beer and food pairing, like to date in your life? Uh, that's a good question. Like it was done specifically. Yes. Um, I think the only official one I can say where like the dish was specifically thought about well, we did yeah. one for fish actually. We did the food. And the beer tasting. Right. That was at what, Magna Ball? Yes. And that was okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to... I don't mean to pull the, the fluff out of your Magna Ball, but it was probably at the Guinness Storehouse. So... Oh, really? This was actually the most recent What did you have with there. Guinness? So, it was, I, I can't... It was a really long time ago. It was like five, six years ago. Did you dip cheese in malt? Um, so here was, <laughs> here's what was really interesting. Uh, as you got to the top of the pint of beer, uh, you would hit different stages where they would show you different renditions of Guinness. So the, I remember the lowest level was an extra stout, and then after that was like the milk stout, and then one level was when one of the light beers had just come out, so it was that, and which was really gross. And then when you got to the super top, which is the 360, you got an actual pint of Guinness. Um, and at each stage they had a little booth and it was so kitschy. It looked like a little Trader Joe's stand and you would walk up and they would be like, this is what pairs perfectly with this beer. And it was like a piece of cheese on a cracker or it was like jam and fig stuff. Like it was, everything was very well put together and made me drink this beer, swallow it, not mind that it was a porter or a stout and appreciate the two of those things get together. I think that's why it's so. Out of my so brain. here's another question for you: Do you think a like orgasmic beer and food combination could make you love beer that you didn't know you loved? Absolutely, one hundred percent. 
And I think that should start being the focus point of beer and food. When you think about them as just things, like they, they were commonly consumed together. And when you can really, you know, brighten up the entirety of a meal because both are perfectly paired together, why not? Yeah. So that's the goal. <laughs> the thing that I always learned um, from Randy Mosier <laughs> was when you're pairing food, you... Who's Randy Mosier? <laughs> uh, he's the guy who wrote Tasting, Tasting Great Beer, that basically the Beer Bible. I forget the name of it, but it's the Beer Bible. Wait, wait, what are his how, how to taste beer. Who's, I don't know. Who's this guy? The, the pairings between food and beer should harken back to like those things that like everybody has like a very vivid memory of. Right. So one of the ones that I loved was um, just a simple piece of like Grafton cheddar cheese paired with like a nutty brown ale. And the combination of those two things are supposed to remind you of a grilled cheese sandwich. Huh. And everyone, you know, more or less everyone has some frame of reference for what a grilled cheese sandwich tastes like. And it's supposed to like invoke those sort of food memories for you. Another one is peaches and cream. So they love to do the, uh, the peach uh, lambic with some kind of like panna cotta or like, you know, cheesecake or some creamy dessert. And it's supposed to invoke the peaches and cream. See, and that's where I think I want my beer knowledge to go. Like use a certified Cicerone and me having experienced so much beer by proxy. I feel like what I envy about you most is your knowledge and understanding of palates and pairings. And it's, it's, a, it's a really <laughs> to, awesome. To be honest with you, that, that training basically did what I asked, what I posed the question of you earlier. It, it made me appreciate food more with beer and it made me appreciate the perfect beer paired with the proper food. It enriches your enjoyment and love and passion for both beer and food. And that's yeah. kind of what the whole program is about. And it's great. It's, it's so funny to me because I talk about this at work all the time. A lot of these super duper fine dining restaurants will always focus on cocktails. They will always focus on wine, but they will kind of forget about beer, leave beer to the wayside. And they have these horrible bottle menus, and these really beautiful restaurants. And uh, it's funny if you read, you know, Garrett Oliver's uh, whatever fucking beer table. If you read any beer literature, it's uh, undoubtedly proven that beer is a better beverage to pair with food than wine because beer is much more complex. It covers so many more ranges. It can pair with all different types of food. It's so much more multidimensional than wine. Um, and, and it really does enhance a food uh, experience when you pair the perfect beer with food. Yeah. I think one of the best meals of my life was a meal that was paired with, you know, wine and food. And I'm not a wine liker, period. I don't drink it. I stay away from it. Don't like it. Um, and it was a surreal experience because, you know, they come out and explain everything to you. And, like, that's the experience that I want to build. I just don't want it to be, like, a, you know, Michelin star or, like, crazy whatever. If it was in a perfect world, it would just be these little tapas. You come in, like, when you go to... San Sebastian, Spain, and you just walk in, pick up a freaking toothpick with a nice little bite. You order a pint. Yeah. Although this time, like, the, great. they're all color-coded. So it's like, you know, if you get this beer, you get this bite. You get this, you get this bite. You That's just... genius. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's, That's <laughs> game hinge. Straight genius. Oh, that's what you're gonna you're going for. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. The, that's, that's great. That's genius. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that'd be a I huge sold you? hit. I sold you? Yeah. All right, perfect. I think that'd be a kitschy hit. It, it's a roundabout way to get the, the you know, the idea there. Sold. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, cool. What are we? Uh, what are we gonna close out this this show with? What tune? Do you have something queued up? I do. Yes, I'm glad I asked. Fantastic. <laughs> Great. We're going to. If anyone has any uh, criticism or praise or uh, tips or knowledge that they want to share with us, they can reach out to us on. Uh, it's gotajabrew at gmail Yeah, please send us <laughs> your knowledge, feedback, comments. All is welcome. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I am the kid himself. And I am the Lizza. And you've been listening to God Jabru. What are we leaving this show with? Divided Sky. (laughs) You got it. All right. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time.